There are people in life who can't help but live in the moment. They see a wide receiver make a one-handed catch. Best catch I've ever seen. One-handed catches are becoming normalized by wide receivers these days. I still say it's 50% talent, 50% flypaper gloves that all the wide receivers are wearing nowadays. Texas played Notre Dame a couple of years ago in week one. You all are college football fans. You probably remember that one. The Longhorns won the game in double overtime. The Irish were ranked number 10 at the time. ESPN Sports Center tweeted after the game, now infamously, Texas is back. Texas was not back. Both of those teams were awful and finished well below 500 in 2016. Perspective is important, and for whatever reason, it seems to be lacking big time in an age where social media is getting bigger and bigger. According to a recent study, more than 65% of Americans are on Facebook. That's more than 210 million people. Now, far less are on Twitter and Instagram, but still millions and millions of people use these applications daily. And what do you constantly see on these sites? Watch this. Best thing you'll see all day. And then sports and politics are discussed. And it's always the very best thing ever or the very worst thing ever, depending on which side or team that you're on. Nuance seems to be lacking, to say the least. I bring all of this up because Joel Klatt said something a couple of weeks ago that was such a living-in-the-moment statement, I couldn't believe it. Clad, of course, is somebody that we like very much here at West of Everest, but his comments about the Sooners following the FAU game in week one had me scratching my head. Clatt ranked Oklahoma number two in his college football power poll after the Sooners crushed the Owls. And Clatt said, quote, I think you can make a really strong argument that Oklahoma's a better team this year than they were a year ago. I know it was only one game and they lost the Heisman Trophy winner, but let's be honest, if they play any better defense than they did a year ago, they're a much better team. The phrase, pump the brakes, had never been more appropriate. Now I get Clad is in the media business, like me, and his job is to say interesting things. But come on, man, after one game, you wanted to make the argument that Oklahoma is better than last year? Three months from now, if the Sooners are Big 12 champs and slotted to play in the college football playoff yet again, sure, I'll entertain the argument that Oklahoma may be better than last season. But following a week one drubbing of a group of five team, stop it. Baker Mayfield's the best college quarterback we've ever seen. He doesn't leave a team and that team gets better, especially with the history of the Sooners defense. And that's the context that Klatt certainly lacked following week one. Well, Joel, of course, the Sooners are better in 2018 if they play any better defense. The thing is, this Oklahoma team doesn't ever seem to play any better defense, at least when it matters. Now, Klatt walked back his comments somewhat Saturday, saying he thought the Sooners' defense was improved after weeks one and two, but after the showing against Iowa State, not so much. Kudos to Joel for recognizing that, but let's be honest— a blind person could have seen Saturday that the Sooners' defense is still the same old inconsistent unit that's been put out on the field since 2016. The main issue for me Saturday was the secondary, a position group that I've anointed as the most talented group on this defense. 
Well, outside of a couple plays against the Cyclones, that group did not look all that talented this week. Sure, it's fixable. Heck, we're only through three weeks. But recent history tells us that quick fixes don't tend to happen in the Sooners' defense. And if that unit is capable of allowing nearly seven yards per play and 27 points to a team who couldn't manage one touchdown against Iowa the week before, that defensive unit probably isn't very good. And the 2018 season may be, once again, chocked full of moments where we're shaking our heads and throwing up our hands while an inferior quarterback makes throw after throw and play after play against a sloppy secondary. But hey, maybe I'm the one living in the moment in this situation. After all, it's just one game, right? I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. And Seibert hooks it in. It's good. And the lead is 10. Looked like that started outside and swung back. Good. 37-27, Oklahoma. Austin Seibert welcomes us in today. Big Saturday for Seibert. Three for three on field goals, including that 42-yarder to put the game out of reach. Well done, Austin Seibert. Oklahoma improves to 3-0. and Hey everybody, once again, I am Lee Benson. My brother Grant will join me in a moment to talk all about Saturday's win in Ames. I have not talked to Grant much at all since the game, so I'm not really sure what he's thinking in terms of Oklahoma's defense and the rest of the performance on Saturday, so we'll get to his thoughts here in a moment. But you know the drill. Before we talk football, I ask you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes as well as leave us a rating and or a review Our most recent review was incredibly positive and very nice. One of you listeners saying this is your favorite Oklahoma podcast. And it's even cooler because this listener just discovered the show at the beginning of the football season. That's fantastic. Please tell your other Sooners fan, friends, and family to listen into the podcast as well. We think they'll like it just like you do. Plus, make sure to like the show on Facebook. You may have seen me do a Facebook Live a moment ago on Facebook. I got a couple comments in there. Appreciate that. There'll probably be more comments as time goes by because that gets posted to the Facebook page and some of you see it a little bit later and then you want to chime in. That's always a cool way for me to interact with all of you guys. And and that's again, that's a way for you to leave comments, questions, things like that in case you want to interact with the show. Finally, follow Grant on Twitter. Grant is at GrantBenson25. I am at LeeBensonNews9. Email the show as well, westofeverest at gmail.com. All right, that's it. Quick and easy. Let's uh, bring in Grant now. It's Sunday morning as we record the podcast this week. Grant, how's it going today? Oh, it's going. Just another beautiful day in the Twin Cities, ready to talk football. I'm just sitting here. I This is the first weekend, Lee, I've had in, in nearly two months where I don't have anything going on. So it's just wall-to-wall football for me. So we're recording this now, and, and the NFL is about to kick off in about 70 minutes. So it's just going to be a great day. I'm so happy today. Did you have a full day of college football then, too, on Saturday? I did. There, I, I ran some errands and whatnot, but I was, I was able to see a vast majority of, of every game during, uh, during the time slot. So, yeah, I mean, a, a, certainly an interesting day of college football. Not necessarily a ton of incredibly watchable games. Uh, but but certainly an interesting uh, weekend for sure. Yeah, three straight weeks of early OU kickoffs. I know Lincoln Riley doesn't like that because it's bad for recruiting, according to him. But as far as just consuming the game and having a, a productive Saturday, those 11 a.m. or noon kickoffs are pretty great because the game comes. You don't have to wait at all for the game. 
and it gets over with, and especially when Oklahoma wins, you're like, all right, that's a good day, and then you have the rest of the day to watch any other college football games. So I've enjoyed these three uh, three straight 11 a.m. or noon kickoffs, and it all changed next week when Oklahoma plays uh, their first night game against Army, which, uh, of course, you and I will talk about later on this week. Army playing some okay football right now. But um, all right, let's uh, let's get to the the elephant in the room, the big takeaway, the big thought of the game. And, and defense, hey, surprise, surprise, Oklahoma football after a, a game, after a win. It really, it doesn't matter win or loss. Uh, the, the big topic, defense, right, Grant? And is this one of those scenarios where it's just, well, here we go again. I mean, this is eerily similar to last year with the only – difference is that it took one fewer game to get there however it is the first big 12 game of the season Oklahoma's defense looks to be a bit exposed last year it was Baylor in that first big 12 game where Baylor was pretty bad and put up a bunch of points and yards against Oklahoma this year it's Iowa State a team that only managed a field goal against Iowa putting up a bunch of points and a good amount of yards against Oklahoma is this just uh, another here we go again situation with the defense Grant it might be. I don't know. I think it's perfectly acceptable to uh, to be fearful of that because you're right. Uh, yesterday, Saturday, recording this on Sunday, uh, yesterday looked a lot like last year's defense and kind of the same script that a lot of teams followed. Uh, not necessarily Iowa State, but that game looked looked very uh, more reminiscent of the of the Baylor game from last year, which of course was the was the game that signaled all of the defensive problems and, and things kind of unraveling. So I mean, they they certainly didn't put you know, they certainly didn't put a good game on tape. Um, and, and I got to think, you know, just coming out of this game, I, especially in the Big 12, I feel like the book is kind of out on Oklahoma, that that's how, you, that's, that's how you beat them downfield with big, strong receivers on their small corners. It seems like the book's out on them because – and that's, that's kind of scary going forward because Texas Tech has, had, has big guys like that. We've kind of dogged on Texas's receivers, but uh, Lil Jordan Humphrey and Colin Johnson are two big guys who can, who can body up. Um, of course, Denzel Mims at Baylor is basically the same, has the exact same body as Akeem Butler, who, you know, who, who just did all of that yesterday. So, uh, they they certainly have some challenges ahead of them, and 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 some some changes probably need to be made. Um, and that's that's not even mentioning the you know the most egregious part of the game on Saturday, which was the tackling, which was horrendous. The tackling was was just so so bad. And Mike Stoops, um particularly pointed out that the secondary had very poor tackling on Saturday and that was easy to see and it's it's not just I guess for me it's it's once again here we go again with allowing big plays in the passing game and Hakeem Butler had a career day five catches 174 yards which was a career high and two touchdowns both of his touchdowns were just highlight reel touchdowns of him just shedding people particularly the first touchdown and then the second one just making a a catch in traffic and and going the rest of the way I I just I can't stand I cannot stand big plays in the passing game especially on both instances where Oklahoma's playing a coverage where you're not supposed to give up a big play they're playing deep zone coverage where the whole point of it is to not let anybody behind you and only you know, kind of let everything stay in front of you and not allow the big play. On both instances, they gave up big plays. So it's like if this defense, when they're in a defense in a coverage where it's designed to keep everything in front and not give up a bunch of yards on that particular play, 
and then they do that, they give up a bunch of yards and a touchdown on those plays, that's a terrible sign going forward because that's the easiest time to play defense in the secondary when you're supposed to keep everything in front of you and not let anybody get deep. And on both of Hakeem Butler's touchdowns, that's what happened. You got Zeb Nolan going 25 of 36 for 360. Those two touchdowns to Butler. And I tweeted this out on Saturday. It's just, it's a bad look for Oklahoma whenever they're letting a backup quarterback who now might be going forward is probably the starter over Kyle Kemp to, you know, who knows how long Kemp's going to be out anyways with that injury, but Nolan definitely earned himself another start. So we'll see if he's just a flash in the pan or if this is like last year against Baylor where that Baylor quarterback had a great game against OU and then disappeared. So we'll see if Nolan continues to play well. I tend to think he'll be just kind of fine. Uh, so you have a, a career day for him and um, it's, I, I guess I kind of lost my train of thought there, but uh Oh, yeah, I, I tweeted. <laughs> sorry, I tweeted that it's a bad look for Oklahoma when you got Zeb Nolan and, and Akeem Butler just ripping up that secondary. Meanwhile, you got Oklahoma State's defense against a really good Boise State offense, a really good Boise State offense, like a four year starter at, uh, quarterback, Brett Rippon and Boise State just making life difficult, sacking him like seven times, held them, I think, to only three touchdowns in that game and and just playing very good and Jim Knowles' new uh the new defensive coordinator that's just a bad look for Oklahoma on a day like that I, I so I mean it's yeah I I know I just ran it there for about five minutes it seemed like but um I'll let you uh continue to add any, anything else you want to add about the defense right now no of, of course I agree with you on the, on the bad look part I do want to push back on a little bit of something you said uh Hakeem Butler's first first touchdown was on the tackling that was an absolute dime by Zeb Nolan there was really nothing they could do about that um that was that was all on the tackling uh, on that play so go back and watch it have, have you have you watched the tv broadcast yet yeah I, yeah I didn't go to Ames so I, I mean I watched I've watched it twice oh now. yeah that's right I yeah for some reason I was under the impression you were there dumb um that the yeah the the first one the, the first throw to Keem Butler was was that throw over the middle that um, that was just over the hand of Curtis Bolton, and and Motley was actually right there. Butler just bodied him up, and then the tackling after that was horrendous. So it was kind of just a very confusing day, especially after what what looked like uh, some considerable steps forward in the first two weeks. And now we're kind of left scratching our heads because it does it does sort of feel like we're back to square one. And the kind of the crappy thing is, I'm not sure we're going to get a really good gauge of where they actually are until they play Baylor. Um, in two weeks, and of course, we'll see Army next week, and um, we'll we'll see how they defend that. But I mean, the book is is certainly out there. I mean, I, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of one on one situation against Army. I, I mean, I, I'm I'm sure they're going to try to back shoulder OU's corners to death in that game as well, because I, I'm saying the book's out. Like, I mean, that's that's what it is. And so I I'm you're you're more of the expert on the secondary. You're the guy who's you know who's who's been coached there and whatnot. I, I don't know. I mean, at this point in time, it's hard not to think there's some sort of fundamental uh, problem back there with, I don't know, either with, with keys or with or how they're being taught, or I'm, I'm just not sure at this point. Well, sometimes back shoulder throws, and we've talked about this. I mean, this is kind of a, a football thing is that, you know, a perfectly executed back shoulder throw is one of the most difficult things to defend in football, and sometimes it's indefensible. And there were certainly some plays in that game where it was just a really nice back shoulder type throw from Noland. And I, I think you made a good point, though, is that if the book is out in Oklahoma and this is what they're susceptible to. I mean, it seems like they they are victimized by that a lot more than other teams. When I watch college football, it seems like uh, you know, these back shoulder type throws are happen a lot against OU. 
and I don't really know the answer to, to how to, to be better at defending those uh, because again, they're, they're perfectly executed because they're, they're so hard to defend because the whole point of a back shoulder throw is that the receiver makes it look like he's running a go route and the timing is such that the quarterback gets the ball out while the receiver is still making his way up the field, but then he comes out of his break, stops, and the defensive back has no idea what the receiver is doing, and the quarterback puts it behind the guy, obviously out of the stretch or out of the reach of the defensive back, and the receiver knows what he's doing, so he turns around, and boom, the ball is right there. It's, it's almost impossible to defend. Uh, the only, I guess the, the best way to defend it is just you got to be a talented, smart defensive back and you have to know that that's part of the arsenal. You got to watch film. You got to think, okay, they like doing these and just be disciplined. And if you're playing man coverage, you got to make sure that you're watching the man and, and you're breaking down and you're watching their eyes and their turn. And you try to do your best just to get up there and either hit them when the ball gets there or knock it away. Uh, but it's a lot easier said than done, uh, definitely. And, and as far as Army goes, you know, that's a team that runs the ball a lot. But I'm looking at their box score from Saturday. They played Hawaii, they handed Hawaii. The Black Knights gave Hawaii its first loss of the season, and Army racked up 465 total yards. 303 of that was on the ground, but they threw the ball 10 times in that game, 6 of 10, throwing 162 yards passing. So Army, a little bit of a passing element to their game this season. That That's uh, certainly interesting going forward. I mean, we'll talk more about that. I don't want to get too far in the weeds about Army now because everyone wants to talk about Iowa State currently. Um, but yeah, it's, it, I, I agree with you though. It'll be tough to get a barometer though on Oklahoma's defense next week because army's offense is just so unique and it's not what Oklahoma will face during big 12 play. Um, sure. let's see. Um, so Go ahead. what else do we want to, I don't know. Do, do we want to stay with the defense or do we want to start? Do we want to break it down by offense and defense? I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I mean, how about let's stay with the defense for a second. Mike Stoops after the game, he said he liked the way that they played the run and look at the David Montgomery, 21 carries, 82 yards. He did have that touchdown, but Montgomery averaged less than four yards per carry. Against the run, Oklahoma was was fine. I mean, they for the most part, they shut down David Montgomery about as much as you, you're going to, aside from, you know, I guess Iowa shut him down exclusively a week ago and only allowed like 30 yards rushing. Uh, so, I mean, on the ground, Oklahoma – did pretty well, I mean, with the exception of a couple plays early on in the game where the defensive ends weren't set in the edge. Kenneth Mann had, had, a, had a rough day from what I saw. But it seemed like that improved as the game went on. But how much did it improve? Or how much was it Iowa State realized, okay, we can throw the ball against these guys. We don't need to run it as much. Let's just pick them apart in the secondary. I think the latter there may have been more of the reason why the running game didn't get going as much as for Iowa State because they didn't really need to run the ball as much, especially later in the game. Uh, what did you see uh, in that aspect of the Oklahoma defense? Yeah, you know, I thought I, I thought they were fine against the run, but not not at all dominant by any stretch of the imagination. They 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 certainly left some some big plays out on the field, um, and that that's actually been a re- reoccurring theme in the first three weeks of the season. David Montgomery or no David Montgomery. I mean, in every game so far, they're they're leaving three, four, five tackles in the backfield just on the field there, just with 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 a ton of missed tackles right off the gate, and it's it's frustrating. Um, that needs to be corrected. It needs to be cleaned up uh, because I, I I you know there's going to be a lot of people clamoring about Mike Stoops after this game. This game was on the players, man. They played like crap. They did not play well, especially with fundamentals and tackling. They just did not play well. 
and and I'll and I'll I'll have to go back and watch you know how the front seven performed. I do know that generally, whenever a big play was being made on the defense, it was Kenneth Murray. I think he was probably the best player on the defense again uh, on Saturday. But overall, just a very uneven performance. I'll have to go back to look at the defensive line. Um, but there were certainly times where they were struggling. I thought there were times where the, where Iowa State's offensive line certainly pushed them off the ball. And like you mentioned, uh, there are times during the game where the defensive ends were downright awful, just awful, uh, keeping contain and whatnot. Because it was it was almost a rehash of last year with uh, Iowa State just doing the exact same thing, just just basically. Uh, just hitting that cutback lane with with David Montgomery and the defensive ends not able to keep contain. It's very fr- it's very frustrating. Um, so it's there certainly is some you know smoke there of people saying it, it just looked a lot like last year because it did. It was almost a, a blueprint of last year. Uh, the one thing that Iowa State just didn't have they didn't have that dynamic eye on the edge uh, to take those swing passes and, and that that may have possibly been the difference or, or why they weren't able to uh, to get that element of their offense going. But um, I don't know, Lee. I, I, I guess um, I, I've been really negative so far. I, I kind of want to say something positive. How about this? I feel like if it was if it was you know 2017's defense on the field uh, at the end of that game, I feel like they would have lost the game. Is that fair to say? I I I will say that I was. Uh, in the in the fourth quarter of that game, I was absolutely not confident at all in that defense to get a stop when they needed to, and they actually did. Uh, so I, I guess if I if I want to you know be a, a a half glass full guy, there it is for it for for the game. All right. So as long as we're saying nice things about the defense, I will I'll slightly agree with that sentiment about last year's defense. I do think that this year's defense is just more talented, and it's. It's going to be better, I think, than last year's. That's just a hunch. I mean, after now week three, that's certainly up in the air. It's just just a hunch. Uh, So, yeah, you mentioned if it was last year's D. So give credit to the defense late in the game. When they were, I think, up by 10 points, the defense did hold Iowa State in the red zone to a field goal to make it just a a seven-point game as opposed to a three-point game. And I got to say another positive about the defense. Really nice to see the defense perform well against the Wildcat formation. Iowa State brought that out maybe, what, three to five plays in that game, kind of near the red zone, near the goal line. And I don't think Montgomery gained more than maybe three or four yards total. I mean, yeah, it was, I got th- especially after last year, the last time we saw the Wildcat against Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl, they Georgia scored ran it twice and scored two touchdowns yeah there was there's a point in the second half when Iowa State you know that was when they were starting to get going with a, you know a lot more in the passing game where they would roll out the wildcat and I would fist pump because I was like awesome they're not going to throw it here so <laughs> but you know uh, the reason they did it too though is because I'm sure they saw in film last year that Oklahoma was so bad against the wildcat in, in the Kansas State game and also in the Rose Bowl and they're like hey we have one of the best running backs in college football this should probably work against this defense, and it didn't. Oklahoma was up to the challenge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, th- I thought they did a good job. There, there, there were obviously some some moments where they were not, where, you know, where they weren't terrible. And really, Lee, for the most part, um, <clears throat> when when they weren't giving up big plays, chunk plays in the passing game, they really, you know, they they were fine yesterday and controlling. The, they they did what they needed to do. They weren't great, I don't think, in controlling the running game. They were adequate to good. 
and I think that was fine, especially on the road. Um, you know, I, it, it just after watching that Iowa State Iowa game, it, it's it's a very disappointing defensive performance uh, because Iowa State really just did not show any sort of dynamic capabilities at all against Iowa. And, and I'm Oklahoma's got a more talented defense than Iowa, so it's it, it's disappointing for sure. Um, uh, other than that, you know, I I I suppose Lee Zeb Noland his performance was basically worst-case scenario. It's what I was thinking um, in my head last week when I was kind of waffling back and forth about who would I rather face, Kemp or Zoland, or, uh, or, or Noland. That was basically the worst-case scenario in my brain with Zeb Nolan there, um, and it, it materialized. Fortunately, it, it didn't, uh, you know, a loss didn't happen because of it. So I guess there, there's another, you know, you know kind of sunshine pumper thing. They won on, on a week in which... There was, you know, that wasn't a given across across the college football landscape. At least they won on the road in conference against against what looks like, you know, what looks to be a team that I think is definitely better on defense than they were a year ago. But um, this team is not better on offense than they were a year ago. It's it's um, it's it's it it, it was just a head scratching performance altogether. And now, of course, this is my term my, my time to rant. I'm ranting now. That's fine. That's fine. I, you know, it, it's tough too because you mentioned the Iowa game last week. And we talked about the Iowa game before this OU-Iowa State game. I mean, Iowa State managed 188 total yards against Iowa. And 66 of those yards, I believe, came on the opening drive of the game. So for the final, I think I think it was eight or nine drives of the entire game against Iowa, Iowa State only managed like 120 total yards. And it's really frustrating that we can't get a, a real good, uh, I guess, idea of of both performances because Iowa State for three quarters had Kyle Kempt playing quarterback and only for one quarter had Zeb Noland, whereas against Oklahoma, Zeb Nolan played all four quarters. So it's we can't say we don't have that same quarterback in both games to really compare and contrast because what if Zeb Nolan's actually just a lot more dynamic and better and, and if he played the entire game against Iowa, what if Iowa State would have scored 20 points instead of three and they beat Iowa? I mean, we, we'll never know that. Uh, Zeb Nolan came in for three drives against Iowa in the fourth quarter and didn't look very good. So based on the three drives, Zeb Nolan looked like a regular not great quarterback. So it's kind of it's frustrating that we don't have that compare and contrast with this one. Um, so there's that. Well, Zeb oh. Nolan is, is clearly a more talented player than Kyle Kempt. Anybody with eyes can see that. Uh, that's clear. So I, I, I'm sure I'm sure a lot of, you know, what with, you know, I'm, I'm sure a reason why they're continuing to go with Kempt at the beginning of the season was just you know his profile from last year. I mean he was he was six and two with them as the starter, maybe even better. I'm not exactly sure. I mean he's a good decision maker, and so I Zeb Nolan is is clearly a much more talented player than Kyle Kempt. Yeah, he's more talented, I suppose. Uh, the the point I'm trying to make though is is is, is he not, is he as good of as a is he as good of a decision maker as Kyle Kempt? Uh, it certainly seemed compared to the Iowa game that Nolan was a lot more willing to take chances with the ball and give his receivers a chance to make a play compared to Kim to, I don't think, threw the ball down the field one time against Iowa. So that was a, a difference. Um, but I, I know we said some positive things about the Oklahoma defense. I do want to get into one particular play, and it came in the fourth quarter, and this just kind of sums up a lot of my disdain and my frustrations with the secondary so I, I hope that you will uh, 
allow me to go over this and try to picture this play in your head. Maybe you can go on YouTube and, and look it up and watch it as, as I go over it. This is uh, it's 34-24. Oklahoma's up by 10. Iowa State's got the ball at their own 13-yard line. And it's first down and 10. This is the fourth quarter. This is uh, ended up being – actually, I think this ended up – this is actually the – into the third quarter, and I think the drive went into the fourth quarter. Anyways, it's the drive where Iowa State ends up kicking a field goal at the end to make it a seven-point game. And they got the ball at their own 13-yard line. So Oklahoma's defense already has them backed up pretty pretty good. So it's okay, you don't let, let them out of the, the shadow of their own end zone. And the very first play, Oklahoma, uh, come, their defense comes out. Iowa is showing 20 personnel, which means that they had two running backs, no tight ends, three wide receivers. They're in the shotgun. They had twins to the right. Oklahoma was in their base 3-4 defense, uh, showing cover two, but the coverage was actually cover three. So they were slightly hiding it, but it ended up not mattering. So here's what the problem was. Parnell Motley, again, it said he had an up-and-down game. He's lined up nine yards off the ball. He's about two and a half yards inside shade to the outside twins receiver and you've heard me multiple times on this podcast for the last year saying that I just don't understand the inside shading that Oklahoma gives when they're playing zone defense it doesn't make any sense to me clearly it's a, it's a principle that they like to, to teach and and they it's something to do with uh, they're uh, they're okay with allowing the sideline to be open I guess they're using the sideline as an extra defender in a way and they just want to prevent plays more towards the middle of the field that's the only thing I can think of was why they play this way but when I was taught to play zone D when you're in cover three cover two you get that outside shade you funnel everything to the inside of you and you never let the receiver get to your outside so anyways Motley's in that two and a half yard inside shade he's in zone coverage as I said ball snapped Motley drops and then he looks at the wide receiver as the wide receiver starts breaking down like he's going to run a curl Motley bites up as he looks up towards the quarterback but at that point then the wide receiver stops and then goes deep on a go double move motley isn't is burned to a crisp i mean not even doesn't have any chance burned but luckily zeb noland severely underthrows the football the guy makes the catch but he has to stop, come back, catch it, and then run. Motley's able to recover and tackle the guy at the 50-yard line. It's a 33-yard game, but it should have been a touchdown if Nolan would have just hit the guy in stride. Now, there's a reason, or let me start over. There is no reason Parnell Motley should have taken his eyes off the quarterback in this situation and then look at the wide receiver. They show a replay of this. You see Motley's head go right to the wide receiver, so there's no dispute that he... He stopped looking at the quarterback and looked towards the wide receiver because in this situation, when you're in cover three, you've got the whole play right in front of you. Motley's job is the deep third of the field. So basically, don't let anybody behind you on one third of the field on that side of the ball from his hash to the sideline. Nobody behind you. The most important thing, again, that wide receiver does not get behind you. You can look at the quarterback's eyes. And since everything's in front of you, you can also see the wide receiver out of the corner of your eye. And you only see he's the wide guy. So if anybody else comes into his zone, he'll be able to see his peripherals. Okay, this guy's getting deeper. I got to get deeper. This guy's, this is my only guy deeper. So it's not very difficult. So if Motley there, uh, if, if the, the wide receiver rather breaks down, 
and then stops on a curl route like he does initially, you'll be reading the quarterback's eyes and watching the quarterback start to throw the ball. Therefore, you'll be able to come up and make a play on the football and, God forbid, maybe even pick it off. But when you take your eyes off the quarterback, this is the most important part, and you watch the wide receiver, you risk taking yourself out of the play, which is what happens here. You know, when your job is the deep third of the field and nobody needs to get behind you, nobody can get behind you, you can't take stupid risks like Motley does here. And I know I'm going along on this one. It's just it's so frustrating. Here's the main thing. You get so many chances in the Big 12 to defend the pass. So many chances. And when you're playing cover three zone, that's legitimately the easiest zone to play and the easiest responsibility to not get beat deep. Yet Motley lets a guy get behind him. I just I can't stand simple secondary principles being blown like this. I can't stand it. It makes it makes me so frustrated. Iowa State was deep in its own territory. And then all of a sudden the Cyclones are at midfield like that. And they didn't even have to make that difficult of a play. This stuff just cannot happen if this defense is going to be good. All right, Grant. Did you remember that play? I went a long time there, but do you remember that play? Yeah, I remember. I remember him, you know, just obviously biting on the, on the double move. And, of course, at the time, I did not know that he was in, in, in a deep zone there, so that's even more unforgivable. Uh, another more un- unforgivable thing, uh, as long as we're on the topic, um, the penalties that extended drives, like the stupid mental dumb penalties that extend drives um, for Iowa State, like what is that stuff? I mean, that, that stuff is so easy to cut out, yet it continues to happen. And, of course, it, it happened in the first two games, and this is the first time that it could have come back and bitten him in the butt. Like, that stuff has got to be cleaned up, and that, that stuff is, is easy. It's easy. And so that, that's just another frustrating thing as well. The only one that comes to mind was when Motley body slammed that guy. Is that what you're talking about? Uh, there was also another one where um, – so that one – um, I thought that one was actually quite a ticky-tack call, actually. Um, there's another one as well from... Well, I mean, you can't uh, do that anymore. You yeah, I know. body slam guys. Yeah, I know, but still. Uh, there was another one. Uh, actually, it was it was a couple plays after the blown Motley coverage. Is the one where Kenneth Murray almost took uh, the pick six. He he was in the flat, and he took it back, but Gallimore had a, uh, had a roughing the passer penalty on it where he took like five steps and blew into the guy after he threw it. No, I thought that was a lot more ticky-tack than the Parnell Motley one. But yeah, I mean, he didn't take five steps. It was the ball was out, and then like a beat went by, and then Gallimore hit him. And but like you can't do that anymore. That's the thing. Like you just you can't do that anymore in football. And a lot of people complain about it. Like oh, football is turning into flag football. It's like you know what? I don't mind it. Just adjust. Adjust to the rules. It's important to protect quarterbacks because quarterbacks are really important. Sure. Okay. So my. The, 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 main, the main point I'm saying is that that stuff is stupid and should never happen to any competent football team is my point. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a lot in the defense. We've gone probably 30 minutes on the defense. I don't have anything else. I, the main thing I wanted to get at was just that, that blown coverage by Motley that, that really bothered me. I mean, yeah, he had the interception in the game. You know, good on him there. I mean, Oklahoma was already up by 10 points, so... Iowa State had a tough time coming back anyways. Uh, also, to uh, late that last drive before the Motley pick, Curtis Bolton, catch the ball, man. Catch the ball. Should have had a game-ending pick, dropped it. So, whatever, not a big deal. Just in a different situation where it's a one-possession game, that would be great if you made the game-sealing interception there. Yeah. yeah, Curtis Bolton did not have a strong game on Saturday. All right, um, and then the last thing I guess I want to 
bring up defensively, and you talked about the missed tackles earlier. Three games into the, the college football season, three games into his career, Buki still is trying to kind of get a feel for what he can and can't do tackling-wise because he there was one play where he tried to kind of just like throw a guy down, just like use his upper body strength and kind of just throw him down. I think it was David Montgomery maybe, and like the guy just kept running because this isn't high school football anymore, and Buki is a very strong cat. But he's also 5'9", and he can't just like throw certain guys to the ground like he probably did in high school a lot. So he's still trying to figure out the best way to tackle certain players. So I know that's annoying for people watching. Like, ah, oh, come on, wrap up or bring him to the ground. You did see Buki early on in the game do a perfect form tackle on Hakeem Butler. And it's funny, like, Hakeem Butler is almost a foot taller than Buki. <laughs> and so, I mean, I, I'm not too worried about Buki at all like people complain about him getting there and I know I talked about him last week oh he's getting to to guys and he's missing tackles or he's going by eh, he'll he'll figure it out he's so talented I I think he'll he'll get it so I don't do you have any uh, I know we one of our topics now seems like every after game podcast is talk about Buki you have any thoughts on him no he's a true freshman he's still you know he's he's struggling to tackle just like everyone else in the secondary or at least they did against Iowa State. So no, I mean I'm not I'm not too concerned about it. He's going to get better every single week. Um, so you know, no, yeah. I, I'm not 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 particularly concerned about him. There's there's others I'm much more concerned about. There was a small ticky tack kind of play that that he did not make, where he almost made. I think it was on the same drive where Iowa State ended up kicking that field goal to make it 34 to 27. There was a play where he flashed and almost knocked the ball down. I think it was a third down play. Do you remember you know what I'm talking about? Where he yeah. almost knocked it down. The guy on that play as a defensive back, he reached with his wrong arm. You gotta reach with your opposite arm. So he reached with his left arm. If you watch the replay, he goes out and tries to get with his left, which it probably feels more natural to go with your left. Where you're what you're taught is you're actually supposed to be when you're running right to left and trying to knock the ball down, you get more reach if you actually reach out with your right arm across your body and if you would have done that I think he would have knocked that ball away so that's just a small just little technical technique kind of thing where it would have been nice if he would have used his other arm I think he would have knocked that play down so I mean that's a small thing it's it's fixable so Grant you and I have talked extensively now negatively about the defense couple of positives but for the most part negative Let's move into the offense where there is a ton of positive things offensively. So if you've made it this far into the show, hearing all the negative stuff, now here's the, here's the good stuff. And boy, Kyler Murray was fantastic on Saturday. I think it's, without question, that's Kyler Murray's best game in college. Would you agree, Grant? Oh, yeah, that's not even close. He was, um, he, he was outstanding on Saturday. He was... Um, he, he, he was Baker Mayfield good on Saturday. That was a good Baker Mayfield performance. Yeah, um, I would agree. I would yeah, agree. Yeah, he was, uh, he was outstanding. Um, his, uh, and, and actually, Lee, the, the most, in, two things stand out, uh, you know, with, to me with him. One, he throws, he throws like the best deep ball since Jason White at Oklahoma. His deep ball is outstanding. Um, and two, he has a lot of poise. He has, I'm, uh, um, if, if Landry Jones, Blake Bell, or Trevor Knight were the starting quarterback in that game yesterday, I think they would have lost, Lee. Kyler Murray was very poised, and he, I mean, I thought he did a really good job on the road, especially in a lot of high-leverage situations. He was great. Oh, yeah, I, I think 
if if those guys were the quarterback, Oklahoma would have lost the game. I mean, Ky- Kyler Murray was so so good in that game, and he answered. You know, what was my what was my yeah, what was my big question going into this game? Would he be patient and disciplined enough to know when he was supposed to run against that Iowa State defense who liked to drop eight in coverage? Would he, you know, try to force things in? Or would he actually know, kind of like Baker Mayfield last year, know when to pull it down and run? And he did that perfectly. Every single time they dropped guys, he would wait back there, wait. He would go through his progressions, and when he finally realized, okay, there's nothing here, he would run. And every single time, Grant, he would pick up positive yardage, and a lot of the times he would pick up first downs. I mean, he was perfect in that aspect of the game on Saturday. And the, uh, the big stat that a lot of you probably saw that I'll just throw out there right now, you mentioned Baker Mayfield earlier. So apparently Kyler Murray just has one fewer total yard through three games than Baker Mayfield last season, and they each have the same amount of total touchdowns as last year. I mean, that's that's crazy that their numbers are basically the same through three games. Um, that's pretty awesome. And um, I have some other thoughts on, on some of the throws he made too, but I'll let you jump in with more thoughts on Kyler. No, I mean, there's honestly not a lot to say. Kyler Murray was was Heisman Trophy good on Saturday. That's how good he was on Saturday. If he can string together performances like that, he can win the Heisman Trophy. He was that good. So, um, you know, and, and, and also doing it against Iowa State's defense, who I was, I was pretty impressed with um, just on tape and whatnot. They're, that's a better unit than they were last year. Um, and, man, It's the Marquis- best defense. I mean, that's three games, but that's definitely the best defense OU has seen this season. And that's yeah. the best game that Kyler's played by far. On on the road. Uh, so that's obviously very encouraging. And also a, a game in which uh, C.D. Lamb missed quite a bit of time as well after taking that cheap shot in the first half. Um, so, I mean, just even better. And, and also, I mean, just to, to ex- extend on it, uh, Marquise Brown has has a wonderful opportunity to be a, to be a first-team All-American this season. I think that's obvious to anyone who watches it. That guy, is, he is, he's a star. My goodness, he is good. I, I, I am, um, I, I'm continued to just be shocked by how good Marquise Brown is. I, I never saw that coming when he was being recruited. Well, yeah, I didn't. I don't think anybody saw this coming. I mean, certainly, I, I thought he'd be an impact player and he'd contribute to Oklahoma. I just, I like this, this little bit of stuff I saw from his junior college tape. That home run ball in the first first half from Kyler to Marquise Brown was so so pretty everywhere. I mean, it was mostly Kyler Murray on the delivery, and obviously Brown had to catch the ball. I actually have that play as a film time with Lee, and we'll save it for a little bit later because we'll come back to it. I just wanted to bring up a f- uh, four other throws in the game from Kyler Murray, and then we'll move on to some other players on the offense uh, if if you'd like. Just because if we can sit here and say, oh, he was great, he was awesome, blah, 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 but let's provide evidence of why we thought he was so great. So in the second quarter, there is a throw uh, from the right hash all the way back to the left sideline on a comeback route to C.D. Lamb that Kyler made on a line. And I think Greg McElroy on the broadcast said, that guy just threw that ball 50 yards in the air across the field. And, okay, so he just on the line, 50 yards, no big deal, perfectly to C.D. Lamb, who, who caught on the comeback first down. That throw was incredible. I mean, that's, that's a big league-type throw. Same exact drive, Grant, a few plays later. And this is the drive where Oklahoma was, was going down, and they eventually got the touchdown pass to Miles Tease. Kyler drops a ball into Marquise Brown near the sidelines just perfectly 
that Brown goes up, catches, gets a foot inbounds, and I think the next play or two plays later was the touchdown pass to Tease. I mean, the ball placement and the accuracy of that that pass to Brown when the clock was running down in the second quarter was perfect. That was a great throw. <laughs> uh, before I move on to the next two throws, any any comments on those two passes? No, I mean, I just I I'm. I'm glad you're bringing these up, but Lee, I, I honestly just don't have much to say about Kyler Murray other than he was sp- spectacular. Okay. That's it. There, okay. That's really the only thing that I can... He, he really didn't... The only mistakes that he made were just missing some guys who were wide open over the course of the game, and that was basically it. Other than that, he was virtually flawless. He was outstanding. <laughs> All right, well, two more throws, and they came in the fourth quarter, and this one was a bit smaller, but it was it was equally as big and impressive... It was first and 20. It was just after a, a holding penalty. And Kyler made a great throw over the middle to Grant Calcaterra. And Calcaterra did a good job of holding on. But Kyler throws it away from the defensive back, kind of back behind Calcaterra. So it, it creates an opportunity for Calcaterra to not get blown up and still have a chance to catch the ball and not have it near the defensive back to where it could be knocked away. That's just a smart ball placement type throw there that made it second down and seven as opposed to second down and 20. And then finally, the last one, maybe maybe his easiest throw of all of these, but still a very important throw because Oklahoma was moving the ball and was trying to kill some clock. Fourth quarter, same exact drive, third down and five. Miles Tease in the left slot. Kyler just hits Tease on the out route, hits Tease perfectly in stride as he turns up field to get the first down. I mean, you throw that ball too far behind Miles Tease or too far out in front, maybe he stumbles and falls down in Oklahoma short of the first down and they got to kick the field goal way earlier than they want to. And who knows if they're going to make it there. I mean, it's just it kept the drive going, moved the chains, it killed more clock and got the ball even closer for Austin Seibert. So those are the, the those are some of the big time throws. And then plus we'll have the uh, I'll, I'll break down the play of the 75 yard touchdown to Marquise Brown here in a moment. Uh, but before we do that, let's talk just more about the offensive players. You mentioned Marquise Brown. He was great. 189 yards, I think it was. And uh, and that touchdown. Uh, CeeDee Lamb had a you know, had that one touchdown. But, yeah, for the most part, you said he, he kind of was missing some time. Uh, I think you wrote in here that the offensive line you thought was fine. Uh, offensive line, fantastic in pass protection once again. Yeah, they were great in pass pro. So I, I think and that's and they've been great in every game so far. Um, and that's and that that's a really solid defensive front for Iowa State too. They impressed me um, in the front seven. They're gonna they're no one's really gonna be able to run it against them in the Big Twelve. I don't think this year. Um, I the, Iowa couldn't even run it against them. So I mean, they're that's as uh, I, I I guess if you really want to nitpick, I, I I really do think um, the the one drawback of the offense today is I, I do think that um, Rodney Anderson's absence was blatantly obvious. I thought it was in the running game uh, just with the, they don't really this may not be the case over the course of the entire season but right now they just they don't they have no explosion in the running game whatsoever I'm not going to argue with you that there was no explosion in the running game on Saturday however I I disagree with Anderson's absence being very obvious in that game I especially considering that Trey Sermon's last touchdown run was just a big boy run where he it was. It was a great run. I'm just saying. Did you? Did I mean? Are you? Are you telling me that Iowa State was scared of Oklahoma's running game in that game? Because they they most certainly were not. No, I don't think they were scared. I don't think Iowa State's scared of anybody's running game. I I don't think this is the game to point to yet. And granted, it's one game where we say, "Yep, Rodney Anderson would have made a big difference there." What I'm kind of not kind of I'm very surprised to see in that game. 
I'm surprised that TJ Pledger and Kennedy Brooks basically didn't do anything. Uh, Pledger got one carry for a yard. I, I was shocked to see how many carries Marcellius Sutton ended up getting after he just didn't show much juice at all early on. He had nine carries for 21 yards total. And I, I think moving forward, Lincoln Riley's going to realize like we got to get a little more explosion in there. And maybe it was a situation where, okay, Sutton's a veteran player. We're on the road. We need guys that we're comfortable with that have been in these settings before. Don't want to throw a true freshman or a redshirt freshman out there to make a mistake. But, man, he had no problem throwing Trey Sermon out there against Ohio State a season ago on the road. Trey Sermon was great. There's got to be a time, and maybe we're going to see it against Army, at home coming up where you're going to have to start getting more touches, I think, to Pledger and or Brooks because those guys are just more explosive, I think, than Marcellius Sutton. So I was surprised that those two players didn't see much time at all, really at all. What about what did you think? That didn't really surprise me at all, um, that it was mostly Sermon and Sutton. I think if we're going to see Brooks and Pledger, that'll be as the season goes on. Um, they're not going to throw them in in a close game on the road in your Big 12 opener. They're two freshmen. That just wasn't going to happen. They were certainly going to go with their more experienced guys. Um, see, but the precedent so, was set, though, again last year at Ohio State. I mean, with Trey yeah, Sermon. Well, Sermon, you know, probably had a better grasp than those guys did at the time. You know, he was ready. He was more ready at the time. And so now he he is just the guy because he has that entire season under his belt already. I'm I'm not too concerned if 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 TJ Pledger and Kennedy Brooks are the guys that everyone wants them to be, they will emerge over the course of the season. And if not, yeah. then not. Um. So True. we'll we'll see. I I'm I it's 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 just becoming even more clear to me right now. Um. That Marquise Brown is the go-to guy in this offense, and you know him and it's going to be him and Murray that make this offense go. Um, at least based off what we've seen, and you, you know, you'll have Sermon as the as, as the change of pace guy, who is hard to bring down. But certainly, I, I don't think you know against you know against the the good defenses like TCU and you know, God willing, a college football playoff thing. Sermon's not a guy who's going to be able to break off a seventy yard touchdown run no. like Rodney Anderson no. can. So, and we'll we'll see as the season goes on if they'll be able to, but. Um, you know, I, I I thought for the most part the offense against against a good Iowa State defense. I thought the offense was 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 really good on Saturday. I I, I thought they they certainly were better on Saturday than they were last week against UCLA. Um, the only the only thing that I would say is you know what I already said about Anderson's uh you know his his absence I thought being obvious and also I just I hate field goals. Love Austin Seibert, but good lord I hate field goals. I, I don't ever <laughs> want to kick three field goals in a, in a close game ever again. <laughs> uh, I mean, at least at least the confidence level in Austin Seibert, I mean, is starting to rise. And he had a great season in 2017. It's just we're so conditioned to, I mean, you and I especially, I mean, we're on the record, like we just, we hate college kickers because college kickers are bad for the most part. In general, college kickers suck. And Austin Seibert, though, for the last two, I mean, I guess for 2017 and so far in 2018, Austin Seibert's been really good uh, for the most part. Not, not for the most part. Austin Seibert has been very good. So I, I just I, we can only hope that that continues. But at the drop of a hat, a kicker can all of a sudden be off. Yeah, uh, and I'm not, I'm not saying it's bad to have a good field goal kicker. I'm just saying I hate field goals. Yeah. I'd just rather him never have to be used is what I'm saying. Let's see. Oh, man, I had it. Oh, uh, how about this? One negative. One negative offensively. I, I mean, again, it's Brody Anderson's out. We'll see how that plays out. I guess the reason why I'm still not as concerned is just I have this feeling that they have a couple guys there in Brooks and Pledger who can be explosive. I mean, they're not going to be Rodney Anderson, obviously, 
but I'm just kind of waiting to see when those two emerge or one of those two emerge because, again, the precedent was set last year. Lincoln Riley's cool with playing all his running backs. If you're good enough, if you are a difference maker, you'll get a chance to play. And I suppose if we don't see those two really as the year goes on, it just it continues to be Sutton and, and Sermon. I guess that means that Pledger and, and Brooks aren't doing enough in practice and really aren't those players that we thought they could be, at least at this they're, point in their careers. They're they're young. You got to give them a little more slack. I think one of your blind spots as an analyst, Lee, is like, and this is being ultra, ultra, you know, specific here. You you really are a big proponent of that of that just plug and play running back mentality. And you, 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 you give that way too much credence. Um, there, there is a lot more that goes into playing running back than just, Hey, here's the ball run up field. Um, and, and that's, that's why those guys aren't playing yet. That's why. Mm, uh, when you have an offensive line like Oklahoma's, it's no, you I, should be and, able to just and they're the not ball and go upfield. No, they're not. But the, at this point in time, the offensive line is not a is, has not been a dominating run blocking offensive line. It just hasn't been. So they were against FAU, but certainly not against UCLA and Iowa State. And so no, I, I just I, I completely well, disagree not going to be a dominant you. against Iowa State and UCLA. That was a little surprising. Um, UCLA geared up for it and Oklahoma threw the ball over it so I mean it's it's all I mean it also goes game to game matchup to matchup I'm just saying you 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 really take for granted um, that you think it's easy just to plug a guy in there who is a freshman and that's just not the case I mean my stance is easy if you're fast and talented and have done this before and know how to run then it, this isn't that difficult you get the and, ball and, and you run behind and that's the you, line you that's you projecting that's you projecting what you feel how it should be. That's that's not how it is. Though. Well, no, that's not how I feel. I should, that's just how what I've seen in watching football forever. That's how it, I mean. And you see, you see, like random running backs in the NFL that aren't particularly talented get a bunch of carries and get get yards and touchdowns behind offensive lines because that's just what you do. It's and yeah, that's, sure. There's elite level guys that certainly are very good, but an elite level running back is not going to necessarily be the difference in a lot of games and not going to be stuff. I mean, the quarterback's yeah. the main thing. Well, I, I, I understand where you're coming from, but you're, you, you're going way too far in, in a direction here. You're not, you're not allowing for any sort of nuance whatsoever. So I'm just, I'm just letting you know that you, you need to be careful with that take because they're, you're not, no, just, I, you're not I mean, yeah. careful with that take. What are you, you talking about? It just it, you don't. It's just it's it's dumb. You you you're you're kind of you're kind of rigid on it, and you you think you're right, but you don't really. There's a lot of factors you don't you're not considering at all. I haven't heard. Okay, so what am I not considering? Well, Basically, I don't know. What you're telling me then is that certain players just like are they just don't get it? Like don't know how to yeah. Don't know how to I don't get know. The ball and see holes has has TJ Pleasure and Kennedy Brooks. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if they've been in practice like. Do they have trouble knowing exactly what to do on every single play on a consistent basis? You're, you're well, sure, you're, yeah. I mean, you're yeah, you're, I mean, you're th- totally that's... underrating that. Like, you're you're underrating Trey Sermon. He came in, he was ready to play because he was ready to play because he's good because he probably picked that stuff up really quickly. He could pass protect. We heard for a long time that that was one of Marcellus Sutton's big hangups that he couldn't pass protect, which is something you have to do in this offense. Um, I I said. I, I haven't heard a ton of you know talk about this, I guess, as the season has started, but I had mentioned over the course uh, during the spring game, Kennedy Brooks looked awful trying to catch the football. That might have uh, uh, um, that might be one of the reasons why he's not getting playing time. 
Uh, TJ Pledger's only been on campus for eight months. Um, he he may not he's not a huge guy. He may be awful trying uh, you know to to pass protect and whatnot. So there's other factors that go into it. I, I'm I'm saying like you know they they might emerge as the season goes on, but there's probably some things that they're just not getting or they're not doing well enough to play right now. Especially, well, yeah, already, on, especially on the road. That, though I've acknowledged that though. I mean that's yeah that's why that's why obviously we haven't seen them yet because clearly there's things going on in practice that they're just not getting. I guess my point though is like outside of and I yeah I suppose there's more to playing running back than just getting the ball and running obviously. Uh, you know, once they pick that stuff up, I mean, hopefully they do. I think that those players are just going to be able to be more of a, an electric type explosive uh, player in this offense. And it's yeah, I just I mean, I suppose this, this offense probably is pretty complicated in a lot of ways because it's so good. Uh, and I, I don't know. It's, I, I, I get what you're saying. So that, that's fair. Uh, it's, this, I think this is kind of getting boring. Let's move on. To, let's let's do uh, let's do film time real quick, and this is one of my better ones. I think I enjoyed this one. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're near your computer or or near a TV and you got the game on DVR, bring it up. Go to Hollywood's long touchdown catch. I think you're gonna like this. Now they did break this down a little bit on the TV broadcast. They showed the all 22, and Greg McElroy gave a, a little bit of a explanation for it. But I think his explanation was actually, you know what, I. I'm gonna just going to say it. I think it was a little basic. It was just basic, hey, play action, got the safety to bite up, and there's Brown going in the middle of the field for the wide-open touchdowns. Like, yeah, in theory, that's what happened. But I think that there's more to that play than just simple play action pass, defensive back breaks up, Hollywood runs into the vacated spot, great throw by Kyler Murray. And I'll explain it here. And so why I like this play by Oklahoma is that Oklahoma outsmarts Iowa State, and it's from a numbers perspective. It's a math, pro- <clears throat> it's a math problem. Iowa State is really good against the run. We all know that. They, they showed it against Iowa. They showed it for the most part against Oklahoma. But how do the Cyclones stop the run so well when they play three defensive linemen a lot of the time and then also drop eight defenders quite a bit? Well, what Iowa State likes to do is it likes to disguise its coverages to try and dictate the play call they try to dictate what they want the offense to actually do so on first and 10 from their own 25 yard line Oklahoma comes out in 20 personnel meaning the Sooners had two running backs zero tight ends and three wide receivers Kyler Murray was in the pistol with Marcellus Sutton behind him Carson Meyer was to Murray's left as the fullback Marquise Brown aligned slot right in a twins formation with A.D. Miller split out wide you look at Iowa State odd man front they got three down linemen two linebackers in the box the sam linebacker is seven yards off the ball lined up near brown in the slot iowa state's playing nickel here and they're showing a shell coverage of three deep safeties plus their corners underneath so that's basically they're saying we're not letting anything get behind us here now here's where we get to the numbers part of what i was talking about and it turns into a math problem for kyler murray this should have been a run read. After all, he sees five defenders in the box. Meanwhile, the Sooners have five offensive linemen, obviously, plus they got that fullback, Carson Meyer. So that's six guys. Six, of course, is greater than five. Therefore, this should be a run play based on the numbers. But Iowa State wants the Sooners to run the ball here. At the snap, the deep middle safety, who I didn't write his name down, but it's number 12, he immediately 
crashes down in on run support, which would make it six on six instead of six on five. And at that point, the Sooners would, would lose their advantage. But instead of handing this ball off, Kyler Murray and Lincoln Riley, likely, they knew that one of the safeties in this defense would be responsible for run support. So Murray rides Marcellius Sutton for a half second, pulls the ball, looks up, sees Marquise Brown running free right in the middle of the area, vacated by the safety who came down into the box to help stop the run. At this point, film study has paid off. OU has created a huge advantage, but Murray, of course, still has to make the throw, and, well, did he make that throw? Just drops it in perfectly in stride to Marquise Brown, who goes the rest of the way for the touchdown. And the reason why... I think that it wasn't as simple as play action, bite up on the run, throw deep, was that immediately at the snap, the free safety in the middle of the field crashed in real real hard to support the run. And whenever he realized Kyler was throwing, he didn't immediately, oh, crap, drop back to try to get back to his zone. He was in there to stop the run. So basically what Iowa State was playing, they weren't playing a cover three shell. They were playing cover two. But they were showing cover three, and they had the middle safety coming in with run support. And what happened on that play is that the middle safety came in on run support. Marquise Brown split the cover two down the middle of the field. Boom. Touchdown. That might be my favorite, my favorite film time breakdown since we've been doing this. Yeah, that was really good, Lee. Good job. Especially with the, um, I mean, especially with the numbers breakdown. That was very smart. That's a, that's, that was very shrewd of you to, to catch that on film. I feel like Greg Cosell from NFL Films right now. Well done. Uh, well, I mean, I I think overall just uh, just a, a really good day for the offense. They 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 won that game obviously on Saturday. So, um, and it looks like you know if we're if if the defensive performance on Saturday is is, is any indication, they're probably going to need that quite a few more times as the season goes on. <laughs> yeah, a couple more just notable offensive things. How about Carson Meyer Grant? First career catch. Yeah, good good throw, good catch. Carson Meyer was the only person who could catch that ball, and he did. You know, hopefully as the season progresses and, and Oklahoma needs it in certain situations, certain matchups, they can start utilizing Carson Meyer. I mean, they're never going to utilize him just like they utilized Dimitri Flowers, but maybe they can they can have that, you know, line up as an up back, you know, RPO where he kind of squirts out in the flat down the field and the linebackers bite up and then boom, there's Carson Meyer over the middle like flowers did i mean that that's something that meyer could do i mean he's not going to be as dynamic of an athlete as flowers but he could get you you know first down here and there and make some some plays to keep the defense off balance so i'm i'm thinking that maybe riley's going to try to slowly implement that more into the offense as the season progresses what do you think oh i bet we'll see that at some point in time for sure i mean that surprised me with 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 meyer going up and catching that i mean he showed some athleticism oh yeah so and uh, very, very cool obviously I don't know if I mentioned this yet. Maybe I had that. Uh, you know, it's ten to three in this game. Oklahoma's got the football. They had a big pass play to Grant Calcaterra, and boom, Calc fumbles. Next play, or two plays later, whatever it was, was that the first uh, Hakeem Butler touchdown, and it's the game's tied. If Calcaterra doesn't fumble there, and Oklahoma's offense keeps rolling, and let's say Oklahoma goes and scores and make it seventeen to three. Are we talking about a whole different game today? And and yep. maybe the defense yep. plays yep. a lot better. Yep, I'm gonna. I it's one of the things about college football and football in general. You just can't control fumble luck. Is really dumb. It really sucks. 
Uh, fumbles are statistically random, and you just cannot do anything about them except just be better at not fumbling. It's, it's very <laughs> frustrating, and that, that's really all you can do. And on that one, that one was on Calcaterra. Um, he, he, he did try to switch hands right as he was getting hit, and you probably shouldn't do that. So it, it's certainly frustrating. I hate fumbles so much. Yeah, I'm not a big fan either. They're pretty awful. Um, but that's, that's that's all I got, Lee. That's all I got. That's all I got. That's all I got too. Uh, just one more. Just uh, hat tip to Austin Seibert, though. Three for three on field goals, and he kicked the basically the game winning field goal because that made it a two possession game, and Iowa State had no chance basically after that. So credit on the road goes to Austin Seibert. We've talked about him briefly, but I just wanted to one more time say, hey man, great job. Uh, you want to talk quickly about other other games, or do you just want to cut this one off? I don't really care. Well. Let's let's I mean let's go quick through some Texas uh, beat USC looked okay I th- I thought both teams looked you know Texas obviously looked better than USC USC's got some got some problems got a lot of problems as a program um, mm-hmm. S- Sam Darnold covered up for a lot of their shortcomings the last two years um, so that's certainly something to keep uh, keep an eye on Texas I still have quite a bit of questions about off offensively. Um, they're they're, they're going to struggle, I think, uh, especially in the Big Twelve. They're not they're not particularly great running the football. Um, Ellinger is not particularly dynamic throwing the football. Just really hard to win games in the Big Twelve when you can't, you know, when you can't throw for three hundred and fifty or four hundred yards on any given day. It, it just is. Um, also, I mean, did, did you have any thoughts on that game at all? I uh, you know I, I'll admit after I I went back and. And I, I watched film of USC, and I watched Texas, Maryland, and then I watched Texas, Tulsa. You know, that was a tough game, but I actually flipped my, my side before that game, and I actually w- backed USC. I think it was plus three or plus three and a half, and I was feeling pretty good about that for the first half, for the first, because I just, Texas had a real shot to lose to Tulsa last week, and they just did, have not looked impressed to me at all. But man, I and, and JT Daniels, the USC quarterback, even though his he you know he didn't play very well at all against Texas, he played okay at the start. But he looks like a player that actually could be okay. But uh, yeah, that ended up being a, a a bad thought. I none of the yeah USC clearly. I, I agree with you that I mentioned that I think Clay Helton has only won like maybe two or three games in his career without Sam Darnold. Uh, that guy, yeah, that's that team is not good. And they, they need help. And, yeah, Texas, again, even though they won by a lot of points, not particularly impressed with Texas. But it's Texas, and it, it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, the Red River shootout is, is going to be an easy one because no matter, whatever happens, it seems like, especially recently, that game ends up being incredibly competitive, even though even though Texas has been not great. So, uh, yeah, I guess that, that that's my grab bag of thoughts on that one. Oh yeah, the, the the Red River Shootout will still be a fight, and also uh, we're going to learn a lot about Texas next week. They host TCU, um, and that's a good that that's a good a uh, a good transition because TCU. Were you surprised that they give Ohio, that they gave Ohio State such a good game? I wasn't able to watch this game as closely as I would have liked, so I'll have to go back and look at the tape. Yeah, I based on what I've seen from TCU in the first two games, they didn't play anybody week one. They looked shaky at times against SMU. And then blew him out of the water the rest of the way. It just and you know how I feel about their quarterback. I I just don't think they have a quarterback. And yeah, when I looked up and saw they were winning that game, and I thought, man, I I could have been super wrong about TCU, and I still could be super wrong about TCU because they gave Ohio State a really good game. 
And I still haven't even watched a whole lot of tape on Ohio State either. I've heard that Haskins is a great quarterback. I, again, I haven't watched enough tape on him yet, so I, I still don't have an opinion on him. Uh, but, you know, the, all said and done, Ohio State ends up winning by 12. And, uh, yeah, it, to me, it's just kind of like a oh, – that was kind of surprising, but uh, it's kind of like a whatever outcome, honestly, to me. What did you think about it? Um, I was I, I wasn't surprised that TCU played them so well. It just wasn't what I expected. Um, the difference in the game was just Ohio State's difference makers on the defensive line. That was it. Oh, Otherwise, okay. I thought, uh, yeah, they Ohio State had two uh, had scored two defensive touchdowns. Bosa oh, had a yeah, I saw had, one had of a, them. Bosa had a strip sack that they recovered for a touchdown, and then Draymond Jones picked off a, a shovel pass, took it like thirty yards for a touchdown. Other uh, without those two plays, TCU wins that game. Man, um, and, and and obviously I know that's kind of a weird thing to say because those plays did happen. Uh, but that's football, and, and though, right? I mean, there's, yeah, they're, they're but, very rare plays. But the, the, the thing that on them. the thing that stood out the most was one TCU is absolutely up to the challenge to stopping Ohio State's ground game, which they did largely. A lot of negative plays in the backfield TCU generated. Uh, they, they tackled J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber behind the line quite a bit. Um, Ohio State. Um, Dwayne Haskins is an immediate upgrade over JT Barrett, an immediate upgrade. Uh, Ohio State is much more dangerous offensively with with Dwayne Haskins. Um, and then, you know, other than that, I, I thought TCU's off, uh, offense came in with a near perfect game plan. They were, that, that offense for TCU was schemed nearly perfectly for Ohio State. Their entire game plan, Lee, was to get the ball to their receivers on the edge um, and then once they did that, they spread everyone out, and they kind of had Darius Anderson uh, have some kind of interesting runs up the middle. You know, he he took one like ninety some odd yards for a touchdown. Um, TCU, yeah, they, that was uh, the thing that stood out to, the most uh, to me. Lee was TCU was incredibly prepared to play that game, which is, I, I suppose is not a surprise with with right, Gary right. Patterson. Sure, and I did see that kickoff return that they almost had as a touchdown. That nice little throwback to uh, Jalen Rager. Whereas, like, I see plays like that, and I think, how, how did you not make sure to throw the ball backwards? Like, just throw it backwards. It's not that difficult. I mean, he threw that ball, like, five yards ahead, which is obviously a penalty for an illegal forward pass. Like, that, I think TCU would have taken the lead right back if, they if that would have counted. Is that the situation that was in? Yeah. Yeah, or like, it would I mean, have been. How do you not make sure to throw that behind to make it a backward pass? I know, and he actually he he had time to set his feet and throw it backwards, Ugh. and he still would have scored because there was no one over there. That was kind of as the funny a coach part. that would just drive me freaking bananas, man. Like, yeah, it's pay attention to detail. It's so simple. You can't throw it forward. He threw it like five yards forward. Yeah, it was bad. Um. Moving on. Uh, so, Lee, this was actually the game that I watched the least of, uh, but Oklahoma State obviously was impressive uh, in beating uh, in beating Boise State by by double digits. Um, so, I know obviously the the big uh, the big story of that game was Oklahoma State's aggressive defense. They sacked uh, they sacked Boise State seven times and you know countless tackles behind the line of scrimmage. So, of course, you know everyone was was pumping up Boise going into that game, but Oklahoma State, Mike Gundy clearly's got something going on there. Yeah, uh, he's, I, he's, I watched he's, a good he's amount. just built a solid program. All throughout August and the, the offseason, the, talking to the Oklahoma State defenders, they were super excited about this new Jim Knowles-led defense because a lot of the principles are creating confusion on the offense, doing a lot of different things to make the offense think, hmm, what is this defense doing? 
And as I was watching that game, there were scenarios where they uh, Oklahoma State would like line up, like overload one side of the offensive line to where like two like the guard and the tackle had to like block like four guys and like Boise State couldn't figure out how to like shift their protections over and they would just overload it and rush and like two offensive linemen on the left side would have nobody to block and it would be like an immediate sack and it's like all right well that seems really cool will that work going forward when now it's on tape because I don't know if they really did that a whole lot in the first two games but yeah I mean Oklahoma State incredibly impressed I thought Boise State was going to win that game I know you did too um just to, to be a, a pessimist on it, uh, Oklahoma State, two block punts. Not one, but two block punts. One of them a touchdown. The other one led to a touchdown because it gave them the ball like right inside the red zone. So basically 14 of their points came off block punts. Oklahoma State's offense, outside of a couple plays, really wasn't all that great. So we still don't know yet if Taylor Cornelius is going to be able to make plays in a pressure-type game because Oklahoma State also led that game uh, with the exception of the first quarter, they led that game for the most part, and they had those big special teams plays, which I think I texted you yesterday. You said, well, special teams is part of the game, and you're right. You know, Good for them. They got them. Uh, but I still think there are some questions, though, about Oklahoma State and uh, you know, how, how that offense can actually fare against you know, a team that's a pretty good defense. And I think Boise State's defense actually is pretty good. But uh, overall, though, yeah, incredibly impressed by Oklahoma State. I'm way off on... I thought Taylor Cornelius would get pulled in that game, and then he wouldn't start the rest of the year. I'm, I'm wrong about that. Cornelius will continue to play, and I, he's got to be the best option for Oklahoma State. Uh, and what was interesting about that game is great game planning by the Cowboys. They had him run the ball a lot in that game. Nice little wrinkle because he's a lot more mobile than Mason Rudolph, and he ran the ball quite a bit. He's almost like he was Kyler Murray. As far, obviously not the same athlete, but he had a lot of design running plays in that game, and that had the Boise State defense confused quite a bit. So good on uh, Oklahoma State. Yeah, good for them. We'll see. Obviously, we'll see more of them as the season goes on. I'm I'm certainly uh, intrigued now about their trajectory over the course of the season. Uh, let's see here. LSU beat Auburn. I, I watched some of that game. It was a really boring game, actually, for the most part. Um, the fourth yeah. quarter. Was, the fourth quarter was pretty good. It was it was a dramatic end. Um, I really don't have a ton of thoughts on that game other than it doesn't it, it's not surprising because if LSU was going to win that game that's about exactly how the game could have gone the only way it could have gone I feel like um, mm-hmm. LSU is I, I, I'm LSU is a good team and there's there's a lot of I'm already seeing now a lot of people on Twitter a lot of people in the national media saying hey they have the best resume in the country that's probably true uh, LSU is not a threat to win the national championship whatsoever. They oh, are no, off. They are not. awful on offense. Awful they on are, offense. They're they're fine. They are fine on offense. And here's the thing: my own one thought on that game is I actually went back and again watched the tape Thursday, Friday, because I kept hearing about how good Auburn was and how they were going to blow out LSU. And I was like, you know what? I got to watch this LSU team. So I watched the Miami game finally, and I watched a little bit about uh, of their game last week against like a bad FCS team, and I surprisingly found Joe Burrow in those games to be actually like pretty fine like his stats are awful but he's like fine he's capable of making throws he's actually kind of accurate and we saw that against Auburn he made some really big throws in that game that kept LSU's offense moving and LSU's defense is really good and 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 in the past Dave Aranda or Aranda LSU's defensive coordinator has 
slow to Auburn's offense in the past. I think he's played against Auburn's offense three times, once when he was at Wisconsin, twice at, at LSU. And those have been low-scoring games, with the exception of the Wisconsin game. It was a bowl game, and it was a high score. It was like 34-31, but Wisconsin won the game. So I thought, you know what? I, I'm going to lean towards LSU in this one, actually, and it ended up being correct, but I, I lost some other games too. But yeah, I, I guess another thing too, real quick, is that, uh, that Auburn offense, Auburn's offense is so annoying, and, and that's why they're just never really a threat to me because they, it's not, it just, it's just gimmicky, and Jarrett Stidham is fine. He was being touted as like, oh, he's an NFL quarterback, and he might be. But Jarrett Sinem does not really strike much fear into people's hearts, I don't think. And I think Saturday kind of kind of bared that out. Yeah, I think they're just fine. I, I think both of those teams, honestly, are just... I, both of those teams have a lot of talent. They're really good, uh, but, but like Auburn's schedule, too, is just brutal. Both, both schedules are brutal, and both have, I think, have enough big enough warts that are going to keep them out of major contention for any of those things. Um, anywho, uh, Lee, Wisconsin lost to BYU. I didn't see a single snap of that game, so they're... There goes officially one of my college football playoff picks. Uh, well, both of ours, because I you you convinced me to go with Wisconsin, but yeah, you know, Wisconsin. I was I was dog, dog dogged them all last year, and they kept proving me wrong. And it took three freaking weeks of 2018 to be like, gosh, this team is just is not that great. Ugh. So well, I mean that's fine. You know, of course, the one time I finally go in on Wisconsin, and they're I'm a year late on them, obviously. Uh, but Lee, I have here written that none of this matters because Alabama may be the best team ever. So yeah, it it may not. Be. But it's actually which actually makes this season I think a lot more enjoyable from an OU fan perspective uh, because you can kind of just like no 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 sense in worrying about a national championship. I don't think anyone can beat those guys at least ever over the course of what we've seen so far. Yeah, uh, but. And so just kind of just sit back, enjoy the season, watch, watch this young OU team progress. And, you know, maybe we'll see some just insane Kyler Murray performances. Maybe I'll, uh, cause I, I do have a futures ticket. I do have a futures ticket on Kyler Murray to win the Heisman trophy. Maybe that'll be my thing this year is just ro- actually rooting for a Heisman trophy win, which I have never done before because I don't really care about that award. Otherwise we'll just, we'll take it. We'll take it game by game. I mean, it's it's one of those seasons. The Big Twelve is is not good. This is not a good conference this year. Um, so we had a good Saturday, though. Pretty good Saturday, yeah. Except and, and of for the Duke Baylor game. Yeah, and we we didn't see North Carolina or we didn't see uh, West Virginia play. Um, so we'll we'll see them again next week. But uh, interesting for sure. But yeah, I mean, this is a. I, I think this is a conference that is that is not going to be as challenging, honestly, as it was last season. I agree. Let's get. Let's get out of here. That does it for today. We'll be back here in a couple of days with a preview of Oklahoma's next game against Army. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.